Good morning. So I thought about this being election day. Uh, I considered maybe doing a final pep talk, a uh, pray, educate, participate, one of our little pep talk podcasts um, uh, on the day that everyone who has not early voted runs off and and uh, and votes, including myself. I'm uh, kind of a nerd that way. I like to vote on election day. But um, as I read the passage in Colossians, that would be our next passage, I realized, you know, I could spend uh, some time talking specifically about politics, but I've kind of done that a little bit. I'm not sure I have anything new to say on that regard um, that, uh, that maybe hasn't already been uh, said, either, you know, that I've shared or certainly lots of people uh, have been sharing about the election and different perspectives and that kind of thing. But as I read the passage in Colossians that we would be in today in chapter 4, it struck me that, you know, this is a good passage for us to spend time in today um, for a number of reasons. First off, because at the end of the day, uh, whoever occupies the White House, whatever uh, party holds Congress or a part of Congress, um, whatever governors are elected to new, you know, to, to, to serve the people of their states in that, um, and whatever the repercussions of those uh, elections and the, and the policies that will follow will bring, at the end of the day, one constant is our witness to the world uh, as Christ lives in us and ultimately lives his heart out through us. And so um, it strikes me that um, we can sort of round, rouse ourselves up or we can even kind of panic about how things may play out as the day goes on today. Um, but one thing that we want to anchor on is the person of Christ and the work that he is doing in us and that he's calling us to ultimately do for his glory. And so as I read the passage today, I thought, you know, this really speaks to something that is uh, something for us to spend our, our little brief season on this morning here and, um, and, um, and just kind of help keep us in perspective in that. So that being said, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open to Colossians chapter 4, and I'm going to go ahead and read uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 2 through verse 6, and that's um, picking up where we left off yesterday, uh, where Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door in the, uh, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. That's the verse that actually really grabbed me about deciding what to teach on this morning. Uh, and then lastly, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Um, prayer, uh, steadfastly means the idea of being committed to it, intentional about it, pressing on in it, um, regularly, consistently being in prayer. And, uh, you know, it's interesting about prayer because when we think about the Christian life and the things that we commit ourselves to, the idea of studying the word or, or um, various elements like that tend to come to the fore. But prayer sometimes ends up being sort of that last thing that we think about. Not for everybody. There are people that you and I both know that are total prayer warriors. They're, they're down with it. But most of us uh, sometimes think of prayer kind of last. We don't put it there, but it's just the last thing we tend to think about when we talk about our Christian lives or practice our Christian faith. But Paul here is uh, really bringing it to the fore. It becomes a central component of his capacity to do the things that God has called him to do. And he's inviting others and asking others to join him in prayer and to pray for him. Um, in Ephesians, as a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, turn left a couple of books and you'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul talks about the armor of God. 
and we know the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, things like this. Well, let me read the passage. Uh, and uh, I'm going to pick it up here in verse 10 of chapter 6, where Paul is encouraging these believers in Ephesians. And by the way, Colossians and Ephesians are not only both prison epistles, but they tend to be kind of seen as sister epistles in Paul's writing, and they have a lot in common, uh, although the perspective is somewhat slightly different. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians is uh, really focuses on the church of Christ, and uh, Colossians tends to focus a little bit more on the Christ of the church. And so they have a lot in common, but they take a slightly different perspective. Uh, but here in, in Ephesians, Paul is giving instruction to the believers about the spiritual warfare that they will engage in. And he says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So to begin with, we understand that our true adversary, the one we are truly standing against, is not just whoever happens to be in Congress or in the White House or in anything capacity of that kind, that person may be acting on behalf of, of, of he who is ultimately behind them. But they are not specifically our adversary. We do press against those things that are ungodly, but we have to recognize that when we do so, we're ultimately fighting the one who is behind. It's kind of like the Prince of Tyre in the Old Testament uh, when... Um, the prophet speaks to the king of Tyre. He quickly goes beyond the physical person who is being addressed to start with and then goes behind the power behind the king of Tyre, the one who is in Eden, the one who is evil, the one who had the eye problems uh, culminating in the I will be like the Most High. Um, we think about um, Daniel setting himself to prayer in uh, Daniel chapter 10. And as he is seeking the Lord and as he is seeking God on behalf of his people, we find out in a little while that uh, that Gabriel was trying to break through to give him an answer to the prayers that he was praying in that but he was stopped by the uh, by the uh, Prince of Persia the one who is behind the King of Persia and so we recognize here coming back to Ephesians chapter 6 that we are not fighting flesh and blood ultimately you know, here in America, we vote. We want candidates that ultimately represent, at least to some degree, to a greater degree, uh, biblical, uh, the biblical worldview that we espouse. And, and to that end, I'll just make my one political comment. Make sure when you do vote today that you vote your biblical world, not just your biblical worldview, but a biblical worldview. Uh, your biblical worldview might be all over the place. Who knows? But a biblical worldview is one that supports some very specific things and stands against some very specific things. Yes, I'm talking about abortion. Yes, I'm talking about uh, all of these things that would ultimately undermine the good. And, uh, well, like the scriptures say, would ultimately sort of see evil as good and good as evil. And so we vote our biblical worldview. But even doing so, <clears throat> we understand that is the prince of the power of the air who is ultimately driving uh, so much of our society into darkness and away from the light. And so we not wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against those principalities and powers and such in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and the shoes uh, shod, uh, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that, uh, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as though I ought to speak. And so, in his imprisonment, Paul is recognizing that, uh, that the mission, the main focus, remains the same. Regardless of the circumstances he finds himself in, he is about the Lord's business. And prayer is one of those essential weapons of our warfare. It's not sort of an, an additional thing that's thought of after the list of, the, uh, of the, uh, the armor of God. Instead, it is very connected with it. The idea that this becomes uh, a means by which we contact headquarters and, and ask for reinforcement. This is the, 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 the channel of communication we have with the Father who equips us to take on this battle. It is his armor that we put on and we communicate with him as part of that process, part of that outworking expression of fighting the good fight of faith. And so continue steadfastly in prayer back in Colossians chapter four. Continue steadfastly, being watchful, the idea of being on guard, thinking about those things we need to pray for and those things that uh, need our attention, that, that, that God brings to our attention that we can lift up to the throne of heaven. We know that if we ask anything according to his will, we have what we ask, 1 John 5. And so we don't, uh, we don't take lightly prayer. Now let me speak to the other side of this for a minute. And this may ruffle a couple of feathers, but this is something that I think should be said. Um, there was a movement years ago that I'm sure is still in operation to some degree today. And that is the idea of praying against territorial demons and spirits in that. Now I get the idea that if we look at Daniel, we understand that there was very clearly a force behind the throne in Persia that, that spiritual warfare was engaged in behind the scenes. So we recognize that. However, we only know that because God's word told us about that specific thing. And so uh, a movement that has cropped up out of that mindset, that concept, is the idea of praying for territory, against territorial spirits and such. And uh, to the point, uh, and, and this may sound odd if you've never heard of this, but to the point where there were literally people who were in charge of this movement who were kind of directing people where prayer resources needed to be uh, sent because there's a spiritual battle here, therefore let's get all the troops praying in this area and stuff because there's this demon of this going on uh, act, active over here and this kind of thing. Um, and, and in some cases, these folks would claim to sort of have that insight that this is where we need to focus our prayer attention now. And um, I, 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 would, I would caution against that kind of stuff because first off, nobody knows that. We, Daniel didn't even know that uh, until, you know, and here is Daniel, right? Daniel did not know this was happening until the angel showed up and told him. Uh, and so we want to be a little careful. Yes, that exists. And so we pray. And as the Lord sort of puts it on our hearts, we pray. But we don't sort of send up command central for prayer and start, you know, sending out the email to a thousand prayer warriors because over here in this city, this is, uh, we want to be a little cautious about how far we carry that kind of stuff. And I don't mean to belittle people who are committed to praying about this stuff. But when we start to mechanize these ideas and, and we, we, we sort of take it like we're actually firing missiles at things or something in the prayer realm, um, I'm not saying that's what they said, but uh, they may have, who knows. But uh, we want to just be thoughtful about it. You know what? Um, one with God is a majority. 
You know, our faith uh, and our trust in him is that he will work as he sees fit, where he knows what needs to be done will be done, and he will do those things. And so we beseech him, we beg him, we come before him and ask and, and, and with fervency and intention, and he works. And so kind of to bring it back around, I don't want to go on a tangent, but as we talk about the idea of being watchful in prayer, we want to make sure that we are mindful, that our are uh, are you know we're not so consumed with the things of the world that we sort of forget that we have a purpose uh, in and a mission that we're in and if we're on a mission then we're focused on that mission and part of being focused on the mission we have in Christ is to be mindful and watchful in prayer and consistent and steadfast in it and then of course with Thanksgiving as well now he mentions Thanksgiving a number of times in the passage we had been. Uh, reading. He was talking about being thankful and all these different kinds of things earlier in chapter 3. Well, here in chapter 4, as we pray, he once again talks about the idea of being thankful as we pray. Uh, you know, thankful for what? Thankful, A, that God hears our prayer. Thankful that he actually already knows what we're going to ask for before we ask it. Thankful that he will do what is good and right. Uh, thankful that he won't answer prayers of ours that are maybe misguided or, or um have a have a wrong motivation um, thankful that you know I mean he may in order to teach us and guide us in some ways but thankful that he ultimately will do what is right and good and satisfies his glorious purposes and so we pray with thanksgiving and thanksgiving that we even have access to the Father in this way and at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ notice what Paul is not doing He's not, in this particular instance, praying that we would get out of, out of prison. Not that he doesn't want to get out of prison, but he recognizes that if this is where God has him right now, then this is where God wants him to work. Uh, it's like the old expression, bloom where you're planted, right? If this is where God has you, then this is where God wants you, and this is where God wants you to work. And so Paul, recognizing that, asks them to pray that that work would be accomplished, that he'd have the ability that, to speak the word of the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ. And in particular, the mystery of Christ that is in view here is the idea that, and we see this again in Ephesians chapter 3, I would encourage you to read uh, verses 1 through 21, but he clearly says what the mystery is in verses 4 and 5, where he talks about how Gentiles, non-Jews, those who did not grow up under the law of Moses, those who are Gentiles, who come by faith, are partakers of the promises. They are co-heirs uh, with those uh, that, that God had chosen in Abraham, uh, you know, the Jews all these years as his chosen people, those who first received the gospel. Uh, Gentiles are co-heirs with them in Christ. And so for this mystery, he's in prison. You know, he is stirring things up. He's followed by Judaizers who... Uh, those who want to put people back under the law and they're stirring up trouble for him and eventually riots are breaking out and after one of these he ultimately is put in prison and so it's for the sake of the gospel for the uh, the truth that by faith through God's grace any man any woman can come and be saved no longer through the law of Moses not that anyone was ever saved by the law of Moses if we understand Galatians 3 properly we know that the law was always intended to simply teach us and condition us and prepare us and the Jews in particular but the law's intention was to bring people to understand uh, that they couldn't keep it and therefore realize their dilemma and therefore see Christ as the answer to that dilemma the dilemma of sin and our separation from God that could never be bridged by our own efforts or i.e. by the law because if, so, if righteousness comes by the law as Paul would say then Christ died for nothing at the end of chapter 2 so 
Um, so anyway, so the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, uh, again, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I ought to clearly state the gospel. Uh, one of the problems that we sometimes have in our desire to share the gospel is that we will sometimes uh, do all that we can to to sort of skirt around what the gospel really is. And the gospel focuses on the idea that you and I are sinners, our righteousness is as filthy rags, there's none righteous, no, not one, and that there's nothing we can do about it. We can't be good enough, we can't earn it, we can't just remold morality so that it becomes achievable. None of those things actually make us righteous. It is only through Christ, which means we need to lay our arms down, we need to surrender, we need to stop feeling like we can earn it and he also stands opposed to all other pretenders to the throne. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, when we neglect to share about how his death alone satisfies God's righteous requirements, that his resurrection from the dead demonstrates that death could not hold him because he was righteous and sinless, uh, and, and that by putting our faith in him alone is the means by which we're saved. Uh, when we neglect to share those things in our presenting of the gospel, we're not actually sharing the gospel. We're sharing a part of it, maybe, but we're not really helping people understand clearly what the gospel is. But Paul here recognizes the importance of speaking clearly and sharing the gospel, this mystery of Christ. And he says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make, making the best use of the time. Now again, this was the passage as I read through it that really kind of nailed it for me and said, you know, this is where I maybe it would be best to spend our time in this, uh, in this episode of our podcast today. Um, making the best use of the time, okay? First off, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom, God's wisdom. Well, we gain God's wisdom by studying God's word, by living out our Christian faith with intention, and walking in wisdom to outsiders is something that, uh, that we do so that they'll recognize it. They'll see that there's something going on in our lives that makes us different. Walking in wisdom can take lots of different forms how we interact with people, how we talk to people, how we carry ourselves, how we make our decisions, what our worldview is based on and how we live that out, um, demonstrating the things that are important to us. Let me again, I, I guess I said the other thing would be the only political thing I'd say, but politics is so overwhelmingly uh, all-consuming today for so many believers that it probably bears saying this as well. Uh, you know, whoever ends up on the throne, uh, on the throne, whoever ends up in the, in the White House, uh, sometimes we see that as the place of all power, right? But I guess that makes my point. Whoever ends up in the White House, whatever way Congress goes, um, we need to remember that neither candidate gives Jesus more potential to do what he's going to do. And neither candidate will rob him of the potential to do what he's going to do. As a matter of fact, whoever wins tonight, uh, whoever, if we even know tonight, but whoever wins the presidential election, whoever ends up serving in Congress, whoever ends up becoming governors of the various states. Um, none of those things have the ultimate impact on things. Jesus will still, and this is so, almost sounds so cliche to say, but Jesus is still on the throne. As a matter of fact, that person who is now occupying the White House after this election is decided is put there by the Lord, okay? They didn't win in spite of what God's will was. God's will was that person be in charge, which means as believers, we need to mold our thinking to larger things than who the president is, okay? We do vote for righteousness. We do vote a biblical worldview. But at the end of the day, whoever occupies the White House, we understand that God has decided that. 
And therefore, it's a reminder to us that our home is not here. Even if our favorite candidate wins or our least favorite candidate wins, either way, we are ambassadors here. Like Paul says, uh, 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 as we mentioned in, in Ephesians, he's an ambassador in chains. He is in a situation that he would not choose to be in, but nonetheless, he's an ambassador in that circumstance, which means whatever happens in the election tonight, you and I are ambassadors of another kingdom entirely. And, uh, and not to make jabs, but neither candidate is perfect. Both candidates are far from perfect. One maybe is eking a little closer because of his policy decisions. But on a personal level, neither candidate is righteous. Neither candidate is not a sinner any more or less than you and I are. And so we recognize that it is in Christ alone where our hope rests. It is in his kingdom that we ultimately are about the business of. And one day we're going to punch out of this place in which we work and go home. And so we occupy ourselves with his business till he comes. But we have that sense that we don't really belong here. This is a place we just are because this is where God has us. And so we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, which means that we ultimately are going to express things in such a way, whatever means that looks like, whatever form that takes, we express things that represent the wisdom of God. Uh, a changed life is a tremendous example of, 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 of what God can do, and to live that out is something that people will notice. Uh, and so we walk in wisdom. Now, of course, specifically speaking, we study the scriptures to understand what it means to walk in wisdom. So we apply ourselves toward that. Making the best use of the time. What is the best use of our time? Um, you know, spending 24 hours a day watching Fox or CNN or whatever you watch, your particular flavor, and being so consumed with the election that we sort of forget the things we're talking about, that God's still in control. No, that's not the best use of our time. We pay attention to the world we live in so that we can pray watchfully. But we don't consume ourselves with things that are not uh, necessarily the places we should spend our time. But we make the best use of our time. Uh, and again, let your speech always be gracious. Boy, would that stand out in our current culture. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. Now we remember what salt does, right? Salt stirs up thirst. Salt has a preserving effect. Salt can also uh, sting in a wound. Salt has lots of purposes. Uh, and so we always season it with salt, but always graciously, okay? Um, not saying we always do that perfectly, not saying I always do that perfectly, but this is what Paul encourages, and not just Paul, but the Holy Spirit. Always be gracious in our speech and let it be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Um, not to overstate what Paul might be saying there, but let me just throw this out there. Um, that it, there may not be the same answer for every person. I mean, there's only one true answer in terms of ultimate truth and salvation and those things, but how we go about answering those questions or how we go about speaking to each person might be very different based on that person's personality, background, beliefs, whatever it might be. But as we approach them graciously and we let our speech be seasoned with salt and do the work it's going to do, um, we recognize that it will affect people differently. And as we just sort of follow through with those people, uh, we want to just answer them graciously. We want to know how to answer them, how to speak to them. So, but these things all flow out of a walk that is rooted in the wisdom of God. So just connecting those things together and, and, and such. But uh, again, this, this passage to me this morning uh, just really f uh, struck me as being very timely on this day of all days of the year. Uh, where we're going to be so consumed with who wins an election and watching electoral votes and popular votes and 
watching Senate and House races and all these different kind of things, which I will be doing. I, I love following politics. It's, uh, I'm, I'm a nerd that way too. Um, but I do recognize that however this pans out tonight, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Uh, uh, and, and so therefore, my trust is in him alone. And that's, that's where all my trust will have to rest, regardless of who wins, whether the one I voted for does or the one I didn't vote for does. At the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you. And we uh, just thank you that, in, uh, that you've called us into such a time as this. That, Father, you've um, put us where we are, wherever we might be in the world. You've put us here for this time, for this season. Uh, in the days leading up to your return, we just pray that we'd be about your business and that we'd walk wisely and that we would spend our time as you would have us spend it. Help us to pray watchfully and fervently and consistently, steadfastly. And uh, as, as we do, that in itself will remind us of who we're ultimately bonded to and linked to, who we ultimately belong to and whose kingdom we're actually ultimately looking to come. And uh, we do pray for the election tonight. We want to pray that, Father, um, some degree of righteousness would reign. Uh, Father, we know that we don't have perfect candidates. We just have who we have. Uh, we also know that you've ordained somebody to ultimately sit in that seat, as well as all the other seats in government. And so we just pray that, Father, you would show yourself strong. And on the one hand, don't give us what we deserve, but be gracious to us. And just allow us to um, have the continued freedom to share our faith, to live lives of freedom and, uh, and liberty. But ultimately, Lord, whatever comes, uh, we know that at the end of the day, that your work will continue to move on. And you just simply ask us to be committed servants toward that end. And so help us to be so. We love you, Lord, and we thank you and ask you to go before us on this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. As always, if you have any comments or you'd like to reach out, you can do so on our website at uh, calvarychapelfranklin.com, uh, my own personal website at parsonspad.com. Of course, you can always comment here on the YouTube channel as well if that's where you're watching. Uh, if you're listening, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for being with us. And we just pray that these times in the Word would be fruitful and would help us to just learn more and more day by day what it means to walk with Jesus. So God bless you, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time.